a very warm good morning everybody i snigdha sharma i'm going to present the hindu tutorial dated 11th march 2021 this podcast is for those who do not have time to read newspaper themselves the analysis of the tutorial is given on the last segment of the podcast let's get started happy preparation The very first article is tectonic turbulence in Dravidian politics. This article is written by Narayan Lakshman. Though every state and one union territory of India that will have assembly elections this year represents a uniquely eclectic matrix of power across the contesting parties and challenges to status quo, nowhere has a sea change in ground realities swept across the political landscape more than in Tamil Nadu. For the first time in half a century, the land of the Dravidian movement is joining the democratic frescence. The tyrannies of leaders in both are the ma- the major parties that have historically ruled it. The Dravida Munetra Kazakam (DMK) and All India Anna Dravida Munetra Kazakam (that is AIADMK). The passing of M Karunanidhi DMK and Jayalalitha AIADMK respectively. The heads of these two parties, who had delivered multiple victories at the hustings and set the template in terms of an autocratic style of managing the cadres, has created a power vacuum that has opened up the politics of the state to a historic opportunity for change. To better understand the opportunity, it is instructive to examine the vectors of change. Inheritance of leadership. First, retaining our focus on the DMK and AIA DMK, there has been a dramatic shift in the fundamental nature of leadership. It is true that DMK has had a more successful uh, business co- continuity plan. Its current president, M K Stalin, was a duly anointed successor to step into his father's shoes after Karunanidhi's passing. Karunanidhi's final gift to his pa- party the orderly transition of the mantle of the leadership to his son helped swiftly see off an early challenge challenges to mr stalin from older sibling and southern region strong a uh, southern region strong man mk elagri however despite mr stalin's many years of experience in tamil nadu as a mayor of chennai MLA, Minister for Rural Development and Local Administration, Dupree Chief Minister, Leader of the Opposition, and since August 2018, the President of his party, is yet to deliver a single state assembly election victory. Karnani led the DMK to victory in elections no fewer than 10 times. By comparison, there remain unanswered questions about whether Mr. Stalin could rise to the formidable standards of his fathers in terms of organizational shrewdness and personal charisma, at least in the realm of state politics. It augurs well for Mr. Stalin that he presided over the DMK's thumping victory in the parliamentary elections in 2019, with the DMK and its allies capturing 38 out of 39 seats in play. But will voters be convinced by Mr. Stalin's promise of leadership to the extent that they will vote the same way in 2021 as it did two years ago? Contrarily, the AIA DMK, as it remained after the passing of Jailalita, was a pale shadow of its former self. The responsibility for that rests squarely on the shoulders of the late leader herself. 
For it was Jayalalitha who systematically decorated at least four rungs of potential future leaders beneath her within the party organization. It was Jayalalitha who institutionalized a culture of abject servility and compulsory public displays of fealty and subservience to her persona. Among every member of a party, high or low, more than that, she formalized an unapologetically dictatorial style of decision making within the party and within the government when the AIADMK was in power, making a mockery of whatever party and administrative structures were in place. However, the past four years of leadership under the AIADMK have seen the survivors of this unipolar period in this their party's politics pull themselves together and deliver a measure of what could genuinely be described as good governance to the people of the state. Whether in terms of flood management, negotiating with the center regarding funds to fight for the COVID-19 pandemic or allowing interest more space to operate rather than extorting them out of business, that they did so despite the rumblings of dissatisfaction and dissent within their ranks in the early post-Jalalta days is nothing short of remarkable. What was considered a fragile peace between Chief Minister Idipaddi K. Palaniswamy and Deputy Chief Minister O. Paneer Selvam at the start has turned out to be surprisingly robust. The looming question that this analysis begs is that will Tamil Nadu voters recognize and reward good governance of this sort or will other factors determine their election preferences? Reading the voter Voters in the state have periodically proved that they have been pensioned for putting into power at the state level a different party to the one that swept up a majority state in the parliamentary elections. A close review of this split in voting preferences suggests that a pattern may have emerged. Since the start of 21st century, the DMK and AIDMK have respectively cornered a majority of seats in the parliamentary and state assembly elections for 15 years each. It would not be unreasonable to surmise that this points to a collective belief on the part of voters in the state that AIADMK is party with strong governance credentials at the state level. Various ADMK has proven its mettle as a bulwark against a heavy-handed central government. Yet, given the dramatic change in the balance of powers in prevailing political ideologies in Tamil Nadu over the past few years, even this assumption now stands on wobbly grounds. A signpost hinting at uh, Potential election outcomes this time is a sea voter survey which has most recently indicated a sweep by the DMK. Impending ideological clash. This brings us to the second major change in the political landscape. The growing national footprint of Bharatiya Janta Party and its brand of muscular Hindutva politics which is now attempting to storm the bastions of the southern states and West Bengal. To understand the position that the BJP occupies in the pantheon of political parties in Tamil Nadu, it is necessary to go back into the very roots of Dravidian movement. What began as an aggressively anti-Brahmin, anti-caste, anti-religion, anti-North Indian, anti-Hindi imposition policy or orientation in the early days of Dravida has come under the Periyar E.V. Ram Sami and the DMK under the C.N. Anadurai was transformed through the 1970s and beyond under the pressure of political comp- competition from the rival AIADMK into a far more inclusive accommodationist bent of leadership. As many additional lower and middle class were integrated into the broad Dravidianist agenda as fronted by both the DMK and AIADMK, 
ADMK there are priorities shifted from assertive populism capitalizing on hostility towards the central government and its tenets to the entrenchment of paternal paternalistic populism comprising a charismatic but self enriching autocrat distributing mass welfare goods while some of the historical elements of assertive populism have faded away as the populist has adjusted to the socio economic realities of post liberalization india a persistent echo of tamil exceptionalism remains deeply embedded within the collective psyche of the common women and man of the state not only does this exceptionalism have to do with the uniqueness of the tamil language traditions cinema rural subcultures and the complexities of caste politics but there is also a shared visceral aversion to the idea of tamil people genuflecting to the dic- dictates of a distant hindu speaking upper caste and hindu dominated government in new delhi to an extent the amplified preference for ideologically committed leaders who are exceptionally skilled at managing the party organization is inconsistent with the quality and tenor of leadership seen in aiadmk recently the concern over political arrangements that might dilute the prospects for realizing the dreams of tamil exceptionalism is also inconsistent with the aiadmk's election alliance with the bjp the bjp has done itself few favors in terms of its own political positions positioning in the state as it has tried to score points on issues relating to hindutva politics rather than dravidianism If a majority of voters are fundamentally hostile to the Singh Parivar ideology, why would they care? Ultimately, the notion of perceived exceptionalism bolstered by a strong preference for regional politics capable of pushing back against overzealous homogenizing ideologies of national parties could be the wind beneath the wings of the DMK at the Hastings Hastings next month. So the next article is a case for a revamped need based PDS there should be a political there should be political will to take this step which would reduce the subsidy bill and the scope for leakages this article is written by T Ramakrishnan the economic survey tabled in parliament in january rightly flagged the issue of growing food subsidy bill which is in the words of the government as becoming unmanageably large the reason is not far to seek food subsidy coupled with the withdrawal of food grains by states from the central pool under various schemes has been on perpetual growth trajectory during 2016 to 17 to 2019 to 20 the subsidy amount clubbed with the loans taken by the food corporation of india under the national small saving fund that is nssf towards food subsidy was in range of 1.65 lakh crore rupees 2.2 lakh crore in future the annual subsidy bill of the center is expected to be about rupees 2.5 lakh crore high drawal rate during the 3 years the quantity of food grains drawn by states annually hovered around 60 million tons of 66 million tons compared to the allocation the rate of drawal was 91 to 95% as the national food security act nfsa which comes into force in July 2013 enhanced entitlements covering two thirds of the country's population this naturally pushed up the state's drawal Based on the improved version of targeted public distribution system, the law requires authorities to provide to each beneficiary 5 kg of rice of wheat per month. 
for this financial year 2020-21 which is an extraordinary year on account of the covid-19 pandemic the revised estimates of the subsidy has been put at about 4.23 lakh crore excluding the extra budgetary resource allocation of 84636 crore till december 2020 the center set apart 94.35 million tons to the states under different schemes including the ns nfsa and additional locations meant for distributing among the poor free of cost importantly the government has decided to abandon the practice of extra budgetary resource allocation and include in the food subsidy amount itself arrears in loans outstanding of the fci drawn through the nssf even in the figures of revised estimates for 2020 to 21 the arrears constitute a portion issue prices and politics it is against this backdrop that the survey has hinted at an increase in the central issue price that is cip which has remained at 2 per kg rupees 2 per kg for wheat and rupees 3 per kg for rice for years though the nfsa even In 2013 envisaged a price revision after 3 years what makes the subject more complex is the variation in the retail issue prices of rice and wheat from nil in states such as karnataka and west bengal for priority households and antodaya anna yojana ration cards holders rupees 1 and udesha for both categories of beneficiaries to rupees 3 and rupees 2 in bihar for two categories according to an official document needless to say in tamil nadu rice is given free of cost for all categories This This includes non-PHH. The center, by stating through the survey that it is difficult to reduce the economic cost of food management in view of rising commitment towards food security, does not want the NFSA norms to be distributed. But a mere increase in the CIPs of rice and wheat without a corresponding rise in the issue prices by the state governments would only increase the burden of state, which are even otherwise reeling under the problem of a resource crunch. Political compulsions are perceived to be becoming to be coming in the way of the. center and the states increasing the prices the politics of rice has been an integral feature of the political discourse promises by dravid munetra khas come in the 1967 assembly elections in tamil nadu three measures approximately 4.5 kg at 1 rupees and telugu desam party during the 1983 poll in andhra pradesh rupees 2 per kg captured the imagination of the voters one should ponder over that was advisability of keeping so low the retail prices of food grains at fair prices shops even after the passage of nearly 50 years and achieving substantial poverty reduction in the country as per the rangarajan groups estimates in 2014 the share of people living below the poverty line in 2011 population was 19.5 about 36 crore recast the system in this context it is time the center had a relook at the overall food subsidy system including the pricing mechanism it should revisit nfsa norms and coverage an official committee in january 2015 called for decreasing the quantum of coverage under the law from the present 67% to around 40% for all ration card holders drawing food grains a give up option has done in the case of cooking gas cylinders can be made available even those states have been allowed to frame criteria for the identification of phh card holders the center can nudge them into pruning 
the number of such beneficiaries. As for the prices, the existing arrangement of flat rates should be replaced with the slab system. Barring the needy, another beneficiaries can be made to pay a little more for a higher quantum of food grains. The rates at which these beneficiaries have to be charged can be arrived at by the centre and the state through consultation. These measures, if properly implemented, can have a salutary effect on retail prices in the open market. There are no two opinions about reforms implemented in the PDS through various steps including end-to-end computerization of operations, digitalization of data on uh, of uh, digitalization of ration card holders, seeding of Aadhaar and automation of the price shops. Yet, diversions of food grains and other chronic problems do exist. It is nobody's case that the PTS should be dismantled or in-kind provision of food subsidy be discontinued. After all, the centre itself did not see any great virtue in the direct benefit transfer mode at the time of giving additional food grains free of cost to the states during April-November last year as part of the relief measures during the pandemic. A revamped need-based PTS is required not just for cutting down the subsidy but also for reducing the scope for leakages. Political will should not be found of wanting. Hello. So, the next article is Towards Peace on the Border. India's new policy of proactive diplomacy together with strong ground posturing is working. This article is written by Ram Madhav. Things seem to be looking up for India in the neighborhood. China has withdrawn its troops in eastern Ladakh across the line of actual control, that is LAC. Pakistan has voluntarily come forward for a ceasefire across the line of control. The new US administration has been issuing positive statements. Shift in strategies. This is the second time in the last few years that China has been forced to make a reassessment of its ground strategy. Earlier, in uh, 2017, at Doklam, where there was a 72-day standoff, mobilization of Indian force, forces led to the withdrawal of Chinese equipment and troops from the disputed area. It took almost 10 months for this to happen in Ladakh. It began at Pangkong So, this Pang Plains and Hot Springs are yet to see in the withdrawal. This can be attributed to a conspicu- conspicuous shift in India's strategy. Prior to 2014, India used to engage in diplomacy and close matters through a quite give and take in such a conflicts along the LEC. In 2013, India was allegedly forced to dismantle some military structures as a part of resolution process when China encroached into this Pang Valley. Indian troops used to generally avoid a face-off. That was a kind of peace we managed to maintain along the LEC. But under the new policy, the Indian force forces practice active engagement on the ground while their leadership engages in negotiations with their counterparts. This revised strategy of proactive diplomacy together with strong ground posturing seems to be working well with our northern neighbors. neighbors. Long ago, Chairman Mao Zedong had conveyed an important message to India through his premier, Zhao Enlai. In August 1962, Mao had asked his army commanders to prepare for war with India. Zhao, a good friend of Prime Minister Jawaharlal Nehru, uh, reminded Mao about the Panchi Treaty signed between the two countries by the two countries, which mandated peaceful coexistence as a core principle. Mao told Zhao to convey to Nehru that India and China should practice armed coexistence. This must always be remembered in dealing across the LAC. The LOC too has seen some pleasant maneuvers in a sudden development. Director General of military operations of India and Pakistan decided 
एंड ऑफ फेबर टू स्ट्रिक्टी इम्प्लीमेंट द सीज़ फायर अग्रीमेंट कमिंग आफ्टर वन ऑफ द वर्स्ट ईयर्स ऑफ सीज़ फायर वायलेशन अक्रॉस एंड लोसी मोर दैन फाइव थाउजेंड एंड जस्ट बिफोर समर दिस डिसीजन मस्ट बी ग्रेटली श्योरिंग वन फॉर पीस ऑन इट्स पार्ट इंडिया हैज़ ऑलवेज डेमॉन्स्ट्रेटेड इट्स कमिटमेंट टू द पीस अ सिमिलर अग्रीमेंट वॉज रीच बिटवीन द टू डी जी एम ओज डी जी एस एम ओ इन टू थाउजेंड एटीन टू हाउ एवर वायलेशंस बाय पाकिस्तान इंक्लूडिंग द पुलवामा अटैक पाकिस्तान प्राइम मिनिस्टर इमरान खान इंसिस्टेड दैट देर वुड बी नो एंगेजमेंट्स विद इंडिया अंडर द स्टेटस को वॉज रिस्टोर इन जम्मू एंड कश्मीर ऑल दैट सीम्स पेस पास है ना There seems to be equal enthusiasm in Pakistan over the ceasefire. This is China's withdrawal cannot be caught guess. Pakistan's clampdown to cannot be explained conclusively. The FATF sword is still hanging over Pakistan's head. The economy is in precarious conditions. COVID-19 has impacted exports and there is a repayment crisis. China is helping its friends but it looks unhappy about the uncertainty over the China-Pakistan economic corridor. Political pundits predict that when eb siege from all sides pakistan has prop- propensity to spread terror and violence in india india has enough experiences to appreciate pakistan potential for mischief that is why india has reiterated reiterated that there will be no uh, let up and counter terror operations but there is this discernible change in general kamar javed bajwa's tone and tenor mo uh, moids yusuf special advisor national security in pakistan cryptically told journalists do you think this could happen without pressure bidden administration's approach pakistan must be under pressure from india the new us administration as well as china there are indications that the bidden administration will adopt a nuanced approach with china in its own economic and strategic interests china would prefer to give that a chance and probably wants pakistan also to fall in line contrary to fears the bidden administration seems to be largely sliding siding with india in its south asia policy we are concerned by beijing's pattern of ongoing attempts to intimidate its neighbors as always we will stand with friends we will stand with partners we will stand with allies a stated department officials stated recently on the border standoff in another statement the us state department said it welcomes the step taken to return jammu and kashmir to full economic and political normalcy consistent with india's democratic values india should seize this opportune moment taking a leaf out of ashpeesh statement in 2003 may not be a bad idea नेपाल एट अक्रॉस रोड दिस आर्टिकल इज रिटन बाय लोकराज बराल Politics in Nepal took a dramatic turn following two significant decisions made by the Supreme Court on February 23rd and March 7, 2021. The first verdict overturned Prime Minister KP Oli's decision to dissolve the House of Representatives Lower House Sound. Second verdict invalidated the registration of the Nepal Communist Party that is NCP. Challenge to Oli the first verdict reinstating parliament cast a glur A slur on the prime minister who without respecting the letter and spirit on the 2015 constitutions called a 
dissolved the lower house and called for a general elections to be held, which was an irony given the huge majority in his favor. Mr. Holi, in fact, wanted to marginalize his party detractors, especially Pushpa Kamal Dahal, Prachanda, and Madhav Kumar Nepal, as they were challenging him for his arrogance and flawed style of governance. This was also a conflict between the communist pattern of conducting party affairs, as Lenin did while maintaining democratic centralism and multi-party parliamentary system that stresses on accountability and tolerance. Mr. Oli tried to run the show in his own way, maintaining the huge electoral mandate gained by the party in 2017 was due to his own popular image, yet pointing fingers at his party colleagues for not allowing him to function effectively. He opted to dissolve parliament. There was overwhelming public opinion against these decisions, including by former chief justices. Hectic political campaigns both for and against dissolution followed, as of the midterm elections were around the corner. Mr. Oli claimed that this court could not enter into the political domain as this was not exclusively a constitutional issue that needed new interpretations. But to their credit, Mr. Oli and his followers accepted the court's decision with grace. One positive aspect of the episode was a broad national unity forged against Mr. Oli's unconstitutional move. Nearly all the political parties, intellectual, civil society leaders, legal professionals and sections of the media made this a common cause for democratic safeguard. Following a two-track policy toward dissolution, the Nepali Congress, the main opposition party, passed a formal resolution against the dissolution, but its president, Sher Bahadur Deoba, wasn't as vocal against the dissolution as his senior colleagues. Mr. Deoba played the role of reluctant opposition leader because the case was sub subject and also perhaps because he wanted to play an effective role during the elections in case the court ruled in favor of dissolution. The Janta Samajwadi party also followed a wait and watch policy as the NCP was still not legally split into two party parties, one led by Mr. Oli and the other led by Mr. Prachanda and Mr. Nepal. That's when the NC and JSP were approached by Mr. Prachanda and Mr. Nepal for devising a joint strategy against Mr. Oli or for reforming a government. After reinstatement of the lower house, the leaders of the two parties asked Mr. Prachanda and Mr. Nepal which party they belonged to, as the legal status of the NCP would remain unchanged after restoration of parliament. The election commission did not make any decision to determine the status of the NCP in either Mr. Oli's favour or in Mr. Prachand and Mr. Nepal's favour. Despite the fact that the Prachanda Nepal group submitted a list of 40% central committee members required to split the NCP, according to the two leaders, the commission didn't take any decision due to pressure from Mr. Oli. Muddied political scenario. What was more surprising was the court's second decision rejecting the existence of the NCP, which was formed when the Communist Party of Nepal, that is Unified Marxist-Leninist, and the Communist Party of Nepal Maoist Center came together. The court said two parties would return to the pre-merged state with separate identities and symbols. The timing and content of the decision was significant. The verdict was which came on the day the reinstated parliament was meeting added confusion and complexity to the already muddied constitutional politics. Now Mr. Oli is the chairman of the CPN, that is UML, and Mr. Pachind heads the CPN Maoist Center. Since many leaders and members of different organs of the integrated party were elected as NCP members, what will be their new party identity? Will Mr. Nepal or any other person belong to the previous CPN UML, join Mr. Oli, or can the present minister belong to the former CPN Maoist Center? continue in government.
when both parties have legally if not politically parted ways the alternative is to split the cpn uml in order to integrate with the mao center under a new party name possible scenarios a new development have offered a few possibilities for coalition politics first the cpn uml led by mr oli in is incapable of forming a government on its own strength of 120 members which includes members of the madhav nepal group if the nc decides to sign will mr oli's cpn uml that he or the nc can form the government many nc members are not well disposed towards mr oli because of his authoritarian style and past deeds although the madhav groups will under pressure to obey the whip it seems unlikely that it will support mr oli even under the pressure an option could be for the nc to form a coalition government with the jsp and the present group with the out mr nepal in case the latter continues to be a member of cpn uml another scenarios would be for the nc 60 plus cpn mao centers 53 jsp 34 and four members of other smaller parties and individuals to form the government with the nc heading it if mr oli steps down from the prime minister post or from the party chairmanship another senior leader probably mr nepal may form the government with the support of the previous mao center if this course is follows it may help this process reintegrate of both parties however mr oli's abduracy may stand in the way as mr nepal continues to be mr oli's bedenore nepali politics is always full of surprises and uncertainty the myth of communist invincibility and stability has exploded in less than 3 years this has led to fragmentation of the left parties some other parties also suffer from the malaise but not to the extent of the left parties the conflict of political cultures inherited by various left groups have contributed to political instability to a great extent the recent political crisis are also the fallout of intolerance and mr oli's failure to manage his own party